We're going to go ahead and read out of Matthew 5, verse 21. We're kind of going through some of the, the big chunks of a sermon on the mount this evening. It will be up on the screen. Matthew 5, 21. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that, that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And skip down to verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone say in the heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members or one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And we're going to skip forward to, to verse 43. It says, you have heard that I was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons or children of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do this. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Stay standing and go ahead and bow your heads. Let's pray. Most merciful and gracious God, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for your word that is truth, that is convicting, that is your word that is strong. And I thank you that you call us into following you wholeheartedly. And anything less is not what you invite us into. So I pray over my brothers and sisters in this room. These sixth, seventh, eighth grade young men and young women who you have called by name to know you and to follow you. I pray tonight that you would stir in us a hunger and a passion to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord, for those in this room who, who have kind of been on the fence for many months or many years, one foot kind of in believing in Jesus and the other foot in trying to find their own life, be their own God, I pray tonight that you would bring us to the end of ourselves, and that you would help us to come to you in repentance and in response to your love for us. So I pray, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase, that my words would not be what are remembered, but your words and what you're speaking to their hearts. So would, be, would we be attentive to your voice tonight? We need you, God. I need you, God. I think that these words are just as much even for me. Would you convict me? Draw me closer to you, Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, you may be seated. Thank you for standing. I want to go after this central question tonight. I want to go after this central question tonight. And this is, this is a big one that maybe many of you have asked. Is why does the way that I live matter? 
Why does, why does the way that I live my life, why does it matter? Look at your neighbor and say, why? Look at your other neighbor, even if they're across the aisle, and say, why? Why does it, why does it matter the way that I live? Or really, maybe a you know, better question is, because I'm a follower of Jesus, why should I live different than the rest of the world? Everyone say different. We know that this word, the word holy in Hebrew simply just means set apart or different. And so, so why do we as believers have the call to live different, to live holy? Maybe for some of you in this room, maybe if you've grown up in church, you've grown up a Christian, you, you hear phrases like, you're saved by grace. Hallelujah. It's a good thing. It is a good thing. Or, or like God has mercy for you and, and you're saved by grace. So and like, all, like really what we kind of boil salvation down to is like if you've prayed the prayer, then like you get out your like get out of hell free card. Like it's Monopoly, like the get out of jail free card. You know, it's like, oh, well, I ain't going there, so I'm good. Thank you, Levi. Was, I, I'm glad you found that funny. But like, we, like we, we think that it's like we get like our, oh, I'm not going to hell. I know where I'm spending my eternity. So like I'm saved. And we kind of make salvation all about that question of like, are you going to heaven or are you going to the word that some people don't say? You know, like, like that's kind of what we boil it down to. But the reality is, is that to ask the question like, why is it important that, that I live different as a Christian? Why do my actions matter? This is a deeply important question if we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Everyone say followers of Jesus. We're not meant to simply just be saved, pray a prayer, and, and, and just kind of do the bare minimum. We are meant to be followers and disciples of Jesus. Let me explain it this way, okay? I want you guys to track with me here. Imagine, okay, so I'm, I'm coming up to my one-year anniversary with my wife. There's my wife right there. She's amazing. She's so sweet. I, I love marriage. It's a good, good thing. But I, we're coming up to our, our one-year anniversary. Now, I'm, I'm learning a lot as a husband. I'm brand new to this thing. I don't pretend to do it perfectly. But imagine, imagine this with me, okay? Imagine this. Imagine if, you know, me as a new husband, I want to be like a great husband, right? Like, who, like if you're a husband like you, you would want to do that thing. Obviously, none of you guys can relate. You'll, you'll get there eventually. But like, like, if, if, like when, you, when you marry someone, it's like, you best, if, if you don't have this intention, you shouldn't be getting married. But, but like, you best have the intention of like, I want, I want to love this person well. I, I want to take care of them. I want to provide for them. I want them to know that they are loved, so on and so forth. But imagine, imagine, this is funny just to think about. Imagine, imagine, if I, if I as a husband wanting to love Lindsay well, be a godly husband, if, thank you, amen. If all of the time I was like, I told Lindsay like every morning when she wakes up and every time I get home from work, just like, babe, I love you so much. Like, you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And, and I like, you're my, you're my best friend. I love spending time with you. I, I love you. You're so, you're so beautiful. 50% of you are like, this is so cute. And 50% of you are like, preach the word. I'll get there. I'll get there. Okay. But like, like imagine if like all of the time I was telling Lindsay all of these sweet things and maybe... If I, if I made a lot of money. I'm like, I'm buying her flowers all the time and chocolate and like fries from Chick-fil-A. That would be like her love language right there. Maybe more than the flowers and chocolate. Like I'm like doing all these things like to get her like flowers and do all these romantic things. And maybe I was like writing her letters all the time. Like I'm checking off all the boxes of like, yeah, that's what you do if you want to be like romantic. Like a good husband who loves his wife. But imagine. Imagine if. I did all of those things, and I told her all the time, babe, I love you so much. You're the best. I love spending time. Oh, you're, I just love you. But then, like, if I, if I didn't listen to anything she said, 
some of y'all said, ooh. Or like, or like, if I did it, if she made a request and I was like, my response is like, yeah, girl, I got you. But I never did it. Like, like if, she were, if she were to ask me, these are, these are not true stories, by the way. But if she were to ask me like, like hey, like, she's really gracious and, and very Christ-like. I love, I love her. But like, imagine if, you know, in her patience, I, I leave like my dirty clothes on the floor. Like I said, that, this doesn't happen. This doesn't happen. Right? Right, yeah, yeah. So this doesn't happen. But like, hey, imagine I leave my dirty clothes on the floor, and so maybe her being like a sweet, gracious wife, like maybe the first time be like, hey, like, could you put your dirty clothes in like the, the dirty clothes bin, right? Which some, like y'all need to do that too, okay? Okay, start practicing now. But like, like if she were to ask me that and be like, yeah, babe, of course, like I'm so sorry, like I want to serve you, I want to like make sure I honor you well, and I say all these like great, sweet, like even Christian things, but then what would happen if I did it the next day? And like the next day after that, and the next day after that, and, and her being a, a really merciful, gracious person, like a few times, it's like, hey, like, you forgot again to like put your, put your clothes on dirty clothes. Could you, could you do that? And, and if I kept on saying, yeah, girl, I got you. I'll serve you. I'll love you. Like, I'm, I'll lay down my life for you. But I don't just like do what she's asking me to do. That, that wouldn't really make sense, right? Or like, like how, about, how about this one? This is actually more of a true story. I did this yesterday. I'm outing myself. You're like, like imagine like, you know, I, I'm making a good breakfast before work. Anyone, anyone love breakfast in here? Hallelujah, hallelujah. But who, who thinks breakfast is the best meal of the day? Those are my people. Those are my people. Breakfast is such a good meal. But like, imagine, like, you know, I make a good breakfast, some eggs, sweet potatoes, mushrooms, uh, potato, like all the things. I make, you don't like mushrooms? What's that? It, they're, they're good, they're good, but it's like a love or hate. Anyways, regardless, I make a really good breakfast, but, but because I like didn't plan well, I'm like late, I got get to get to work. This is a very true story of like yesterday. <laughs> uh, but like I, I do all these things, but so like I have like, pots and pans over here and cutting boards and like food. And, like I have, I have all my mess all over. And it's like, I'm so sorry, but, like I got to balance, I got to go to work. Like, you know, the first time maybe like she's gracious and like she doesn't want to clean up my dishes after I make a huge mess, right? But because she's gracious and loving, she does it. But she's like, hey, like, if, if you could like leave more time before you leave for work so you can clean up, that'd be awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. Like I want to serve you. I want to lay my life down for you. Like you mean everything to me. And if I did it day after day after day after day. Let, let, me, let me ask you this. None of you guys are married. You don't have experience. I only have 10 months of experience. But do you think that that type of marriage would go well for me or would go <laughs> bad for me? It would go terrible for me. Like if I, if I like told Lindsay all of these things, I'm like, I'll do this for you. But if the way I lived, pay attention, if the way I lived didn't match up to what I said, the question could be asked, well, do you, do you really love her? Are you actually like showing that you, that you love her by the way you live your life? Or are you you're saying that you do these things, yeah, you're important to me, and yeah, I'll give my time, my energy, my emotions, all of this for you, but the way I'm actually living doesn't match up with that. We'd have a really terrible marriage, I'd be a terrible husband, and that wouldn't work, right? Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? In the exact same way, what Jesus is calling his disciples to in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, hey, hey, hey. I'm, I'm laying my life down for you. I'm bringing the kingdom of heaven for you. So this is how I'm calling you to live. And, and we see in this passage, we're going to go over this in, in just a minute, but we see in this passage that Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want our lip service. 
He doesn't want us just coming in and singing the songs and, and maybe checking all the religious boxes. I pray before my meals. I read my Bible every once in a while. Like every once in a while, like rarely, but I read my Bible sometimes. Like, like I go to church. I go to youth group. I, I serve in kids' ministry. I do all the things. Check, 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 check. Doing all these things. You're saying all these things. But the way you live your life does not match up with that. And this is what Jesus is going after in the Sermon on the Mount. I want to suggest just four things to you this evening. I want to try to move through them as quickly as possible so we can have some, some time to pray at the end. I want to suggest four things about how Jesus invites us into a completely transformed life. Everyone say transformed. Everyone say transformed. He doesn't just want some, some attitude adjustments, some external behavior adjustments. He wants a transformation of your heart. So what do we see in this passage that we're reading through? Number one, ever say number one. Number one is that Jesus raises the standard of how we are called to live. You're taking notes, write that down. Jesus raises the standard of how we are called to live. Look at, look at verse 21 with me again. Look at Matthew 5 verse 21 with me again. It'll be up on the screen. Jesus says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone say, I say to you. But, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool, which, which in, like, in, or in the old context, like saying you fool was basically like calling someone like stupid and putting them beneath you, looking at them like they are trash, okay? You might like call like your friend a fool because they're being a clown or goofing off in class. Not, not the same thing. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Look down with me at, at verse 27. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is, being, this is a spouse being unfaithful to their spouse. Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Everyone say in the heart. And lastly, verse 43, 44, you have heard that it was said, everyone say, you have heard. You have heard that it was said this in the past, according to the law that the, that the Jewish people, the Israelites had, you have heard that it was said, according to the law, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What is, what is Jesus doing here in the Sermon on the Mount? What we see is that Jesus is raising the standard. Are you tracking with me? Like, like Jesus is raising the standard. He's saying, look, look, like, you know, a lot of you, you you've heard the law before. You know the bare minimum of, of what you should or shouldn't do. Like, like, most of us don't look at these commandments and be like, oh, that shouldn't be a thing. Like, if you do, I'm scared. Because they're like, look at, like, you shall not murder. How many of you guys are glad that's a commandment? Hallelujah. Like, I'm glad that's not legal or encouraged. Hallelujah. Like, you read, like, you shall not murder, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's good. And, and so many people in this day and age, the religious people, shh, listen, listen. The religious people, they, they could check the boxes of, yeah, I follow the law. Like, I haven't murdered anyone. Oh, well, good for you. I'm hoping none of you have murdered anyone. But, but then what, does, what does Jesus say? He says, but I tell you, 
Jesus. But I tell you that if you have anger in your heart towards a brother or sister in Christ, you can be judged for that. Everyone listen, everyone listen. If you have anger in your heart, you are liable to judgment. And if you insult your brother or sister, you are liable to judgment. If you say, you fool, if you look down upon someone, you're liable to the hell of fire. This is the words of Jesus. So Jesus is saying, yeah, like you know that murder is a bad thing. Clearly, we agree on that. But what I say to you today is if you have anger in your heart, that you're letting marinate there, sit there. Shh, everyone listen. Everyone listen. If you have anger in your heart that you're holding against someone, if you're insulting someone, bullying someone, mistreating someone, looking down upon someone and treating them like they're lower, you're committing the same sin in your heart as a murderer commits. That's like, that's a little scary. That's, a little, that's intense. But what Jesus is saying is, look, ultimately the sin that, that causes someone to murder is, 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 is anger. And all these things that, that can so easily kind of live inside of us, Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, don't murder. But I tell you, don't hold on to your anger. Don't insult your brother or sister and don't look down upon others. We, we see Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Right, like, like faithfulness in marriage, that is like God's value. And many of you in this room, if you were to be honest, many, many of us in this room, Sad reality is like, we've seen what happens when, when this commandment is broken, right? Like, like we see what happens when it's like, when a husband's not faithful to his wife or a wife isn't faithful to his husband. Like, like, you, like a lot of you guys have experienced this or you know people that have experienced this. It tears families apart. It's, 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 it's so brutal and, and hurtful to the family. Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Some of you just need to know in this room that Jesus isn't okay with that. And that, he, that he mourns with you, he weeps with you, he, he is standing with you with your heart broken over the brokenness in your parents' marriage. Okay, I don't, I don't want to ignore that this evening. I know when we, when we read this text, like even that can jump off the page at you and be like, man, like, I, I, like, that, like that rings true. If you're going through that right now, I'm sorry. It's hard and Jesus is with you in it. What we see Jesus do here, he says, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But then once again, he raises the standard. He says, but I tell you, whoever looks at a person with lustful intent, or whoever, whoever looks at someone that they're attracted to and, 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 and the whole object is like, is, is, is like self-pleasure. Is looking at someone and not seeing them as a son or daughter of Christ made in the image of God. When we look at them as like just an object for our viewing pleasure. Guess what? What Jesus says is that is the exact same sin that leads to adultery. He's saying, yeah, you know that adultery is wrong, but so is lust. Because lust is the root that causes people to move into lives of sin. And I don't want to be so naive to kind of just miss that. You guys in the 6th, 7th, 8th grade, this is already a battle you have to think through, fight through. As, as you see someone else that, that you may be attracted to, to see them when the world tells you that you can just kind of lust and objectify them or, or talk about someone that you're attracted to in a disrespectful way. Friends, hear me, that's not the way of Jesus. He has so much more for you. He has so much more for you. 
We see when he says, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. This is what the Old Testament people would do. That if someone was like you, you'd love them. That was your homie. That, that, that was your people. Like if we're in the same people group. If we're, if we're the same race, if, we're, if we come from the same culture, the same religion, then it's like, that's my neighbor. But anyone that isn't that would have intense hatred. If you, if you had a different religion, there would be hatred. If you were a different race, there would be hatred. If you were from a different culture, there would be hatred. And what we see here is as Jesus is, is raising the standard saying, hey, look, I'm not just concerned about murder, adultery, and loving, just loving your neighbor. I'm concerned about you loving your enemy. And, and I want you to not think lustful thoughts. And I want you to not hold on to let, let anger harbor in your hearts. We see that Jesus is raising the standard. Are you tracking with me? We see Jesus is raising the standard. Now, why does he do this? Jesus calls us to a higher standard because he cares about our sin. And ultimately, because number two, what we see from this passage is that Jesus cares about his creation. Okay, Jesus cares about his creation. Look at verses 23 through 24 with me. It says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, this is like coming in to, to worship in the presence of God. If you are coming to offer your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Everyone say go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. We see, we see here in verse 29, this is like one of the most like insane verses in the Bible. If you were like listening to it and being like, dang, I didn't know that was in the Bible. Like, yeah, it's intense. Look, look at verse 29 with me. It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, what does it say? It says What? Tear it out and throw it away. It's a little crazy. Let's keep reading. If you're right, I cause you to sin. Tear it out and throw it away. Let me find my place. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. Why, why is Jesus using such strong language in this passage? Like, like, if you're a little shocked by this passage, like, you should be. Jesus is telling people, tear out your eye and cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. It's intense. It's hyperbolic, meaning, like, he, like he's going to an extreme. I don't want any of you coming back next week losing an eye or missing a hand. Like, your parents would be so angry. and I'd be fired. I'd be gone. But what, what Jesus is going after in this passage is, look, sin is serious. The problem of sin in our lives and in our world is something to be taken seriously. Everyone say it's serious. It's, it's serious. And this is why Jesus, he, as he raises the standard, the reason why he does so is because sin destroys ourselves and it destroys the world around us. Right? Like, like what do we see with, with, with hatred and anger? Like when people are angry, when they're insulting people, when they're looking at a group of people or someone as lower than them, you know what that leads to? It leads to murder. That leads to injustice. That leads to us not seeing people as God's very created beings whom he made in his image. It's total opposite. You know what lust leads to? It leads to addiction and it leads to brokenness in families. Like, 
Like, like we see that sexual morality and adultery, like it leads to absolute brokenness in our world that many of us live in today. We're affected by today. And so when Jesus is saying, I tell you that, that if, if you look at a woman with lustful intent in your heart, you've committed the same sin in your heart as adultery. Not because he's just overly religious and legalistic and he's a grumpy old man. No, no, no. What it is, is he's saying, look, look, I care about my sons and my daughters in this room. And because sexual morality, because lust literally tears the world apart, I'm calling you as followers of Jesus to put these things away. So you can know me, so other people can know me. Are you tracking with me? Come on, are you tracking with me? Do you see why this is important? We see when it says, you shall love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. How many people in the world today, they love who they think is their neighbor and they hate their enemies? Like, let's, let's get real tonight. Everyone listen, everyone listen. If you're on your phone right now, you need to put it away. It's not the time for that. Let's get real in this room tonight. Like, we see that loving what do you consider your neighbor, the people like you, and hating your enemy, hating the people that are different from you, you know what that leads to? leads to the racism that we see in our world. It leads to the hatred that Christians have towards people who have different sexual orientations. Let's be real. It leads to Christians looking at people who are different than them or may not be living a Christian lifestyle. It leads to us judging them and hating them and saying, like, like they need to stay away. The gospel's not for them. When we, when we love our enemy or the people that are the same race as us or come from the same, like, like uh, amount of money as us, if they're rich or, like, poor, like, like, it's so easy for people to kind of love those who are like them and to hate people that are different from them. And, guys, hear me tonight. As people of Jesus, we are called to a radically different lifestyle. Why? Because he cares for his creation. Jesus doesn't call us to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him because he just doesn't want us to have fun. Like, you guys ever think that? Like, that Christianity is all about just like, God doesn't want me to, like, enjoy life. No, no, no. Like, the reason why Jesus cares about the way you live is because he cares about you. And he cares about the people around you. When we let these things linger in our hearts, it leads to brokenness in our world. Which leads me to the third point. If you're taking notes, write this down. Is that Jesus looks at our hearts. Jesus looks at our hearts. Everyone say, my heart. We read this in the Beatitudes last week as Jesus was describing the type of people that are, that are fit for his kingdom and the, ultimately the type of king he is. Matthew 5, 8, one of my favorite verses. I used to have a purity ring on this hand before I got married. And on the inside it said, it said blessed are the pure in heart. This verse says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Brothers and sisters, hear me tonight. It's like God is, God is way less concerned about you managing your, your external behaviors, and he's way more concerned about transforming your heart. Let me tell you, that's really good news. Because so often what we do as Christians is, is we focus so much on like controlling our external behaviors. Okay, like how many of you guys ever, ever played the game Whack-A-Mole? Like the arcade game. 
<laughs> you love that game, bro. This boy's like, <gasps> I love that. Yeah, like, this, this game Whack-A-Mole. If you haven't played it, like, who's seen Toy Story 1? When, when Sid is at Pizza Planet, just going ham on it. My, y'all are, like, hype with me. I bring an example, and everyone's like, oh, let's go. I, I love it. I love it. Like, I, I, I love Toy Story. I'm passionate about Toy Story. I'm more passionate about Jesus. But I'm just yelling a ton tonight because I'm just, I'm passionate. But, like, like, like if, you, if you ever played this game Whack-A-Mole, shh, listen, listen. Like, if you, if you ever played this game Whack-A-Mole, or you can picture Sid, the really mean bully, who is, like, everything anti-Christ-like that I'm talking about, like, angry and just messed up, right? Like, like imagine him, like, like, this game Whack-A-Mole is, like, there's a bunch of holes in the board, and you have, like, Thor's hammer. Yeah? Any Thor fans in here? Yeah, very nice. Any Thor fans? Are you Thor? Superhero. The, the guy Thor. Anyways, okay, okay, so, like, you, you have this hammer, and you have all these holes in, in, like, the foundation of the game, and what happens is, out of, like, these holes come up, like, these little, these moles, right? Are, are you guys tracking with me? Have you played this game, right? Like, and what you do is, as, like, a mole comes up, you use the hammer, and you whack it, right? And then the next one comes up, and you whack it, and it goes, like, faster and faster, but the whole goal of the game is just to last as long as possible before, ultimately, you're going to mess up. And what, what do we do in Christianity? Shh, listen, listen, listen. What do we do in Christianity? Is, is we have a disordered heart, a heart that is full of anger or lust or sinful behavior, like, like intentions or desires. But what do we do is we kind of, we shove that away and, and what we want to do is try to manage our sinful behaviors, right? Like manage my sinful behaviors so that like people won't think I'm a terrible person. Or so like... I won't get in trouble with my parents, right? Like, it's like, like we try to manage those things like, like, oh, like, okay, I, I almost got caught for cheating on my test. I shouldn't do that. Whack-a-mole. Or like, oh, like, I should stop being mad to my, or mean to my parents because I'm going to get grounded. And then like, like we, what we do is we spend our lives trying to manage our sin. And brothers and sisters, that's not what Christianity is about. That, that's a life of slavery. And what Jesus has for us is a life of freedom. What we see here in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus isn't just saying, look, tr- just try not to do these things. And you may be saved at the end. You know what Jesus is saying? Is look, look, you've heard that it was said, this is the way that you're supposed to live. But I'm calling you to let me come and transform your heart. This is why Jesus, blessed are the pure in heart. Everyone say pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why does Jesus care about the purity of our hearts, the purity of our motives and our desires being like Christ? Because ultimately everything we do flows from the heart. So if you have anger, lust, greed, pride, all sitting in your heart, you can manage your sin for a while and look like a good Christian. At the end of the day, what that leads to is you being destroyed and the people around you being destroyed. Are you tracking with me? I want to read this passage. This is a really sobering passage. John, you can go ahead and come up to play the keys. Jacob, you can even just bring the lights down a little bit. I want you guys to continue to pay attention. We've got a few more minutes. Pay attention. This is one of the most important but also sobering and serious passages in the entire Bible to me. This is how Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. This passage of scripture we've been going through. Matthew 7, 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus is talking about on the final day when you and I will stand before God to be judged. This is part of what we believe as Christians. 
This day will come on the day. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Depart from me, I, I never knew you. He says, many will come to Jesus and call him Lord, Lord, Lord. Do you remember like when I did that thing for you? Do you remember when like I prayed for that person? Do you remember when I prophesied? Do you remember when I tried to like start all these like good things for you or go get people saved? Lord, Lord, do you remember when like I didn't struggle with, with that sin for like 10 years? I did really good. I wasn't, I didn't kick my little sibling. Do you remember that? Like remember me like Lord, Lord. What does Jesus say? I can imagine the heartbreak in Jesus' voice as he tells this, this person, I never knew you. Depart from me. And Jesus explains what he's going after in this passage in the following, the following story. It's a familiar one. It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them. Everyone say, does them. In other words, whoever hears these words of mine and obeys will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone say on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Friends, I want to tell you this evening, and I truly want you guys to hear this. Because if, if we don't believe this, if we get this wrong, you will look back 5, 10, 15 years from now and you'll say, I thought I was following Jesus, but that, that wasn't really the gospel. The life of following Jesus is not an invitation to you trying to fix yourself. Okay? Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. Friends in the back row, look at me. The invitation to the gospel is not fix yourself and try to stop sinning less, and then maybe, maybe God will let you be saved. It's not the invitation of the gospel. The invitation of the gospel is to say, see what Jesus has done. How he came from heaven to earth, became a man and offered himself for you and for me. So we could have a different life. Not so that we would have to try to manage our sin or to follow the law. No, no, no. So we could have a transformed heart where our desires and our, our will, the things that we want are good and godly. And ultimately what Jesus calls us to in the Sermon on the Mount is to say, hey, I, the way you live matters. And, and it's not just about what you do externally, it's about you internally. And, and that matters because Jesus, he looks beyond just the surface and he looks at your heart and he calls you to follow him. 
Jesus doesn't just want your half-hearted love or your half-hearted obedience. He wants all of it. Now some of you guys might be like, man, sounds intense. This is a lot, right? Sounds, sounds heavy. But ultimately when I read all the Sermon on the Mount, what I, what I was led to this morning that literally brought me to tears is my fourth point, our God's statement for tonight, is that Jesus is gracious. Can you say Jesus is gracious? I want to tell you guys a quick story. When I was in sixth, seventh, eighth grade, like, like many of you, well, like all of you, you're all in sixth or eighth grade. I, I came to youth group in this very room. Came to youth group in this very room. I loved youth group. I had a squad, especially in middle school. Like, I had all the homies. It was, it was the best. I remember coming into this room and I, I loved, I loved Jesus, man. I would sit in this very row right here. Can I steal some of this pizza? I would, sit in, I would sit in this very row. It's a good row. It's a legacy. The room would be packed with like another few hundred people, big, scary, hormonal people we call high schoolers. You know what I'm saying? So there would be rows on, on both sides, all the way to the back of the room. And I would sit in about this row or this row. And I would sit here and I loved, I loved being here and and listening to the word of the Lord, and listening to the gospel. I loved Jesus. I loved, I loved ministry. I loved coming to youth group with my friends. I loved, I loved all those things. But as I was sitting in those seats, as happy I, as I was to be in this room in youth group, I also sat there with immense shame. Because all the while that I was trying to follow Jesus, and I'd come to youth group, I, I would serve in the kids' ministry, on the worship team, I did all the church stuff, I loved it. But I was carrying immense shame because I was, I was struggling with an addiction. Struggling with an addiction, I felt like I couldn't shake. And, and for many, many years, starting in sixth grade and even into my high school years, I I felt like I was a slave to this addiction. And I'd come into this room and I'd feel such shame because everyone looked at me as like, yeah, Mateo's that dude that, that loves Jesus. God was in the front lifting my hands. I was, I was taking notes on every sermon. I have notebooks, journals full from it, sitting in my office. And all the while I felt such shame. And I'd come in this room and feel like I had to kind of hide myself. Like if someone actually knew what I was doing that they would disown me, push me out. Shh, listen. And I remember this moment has changed my life almost, almost six years ago. It was a summer. I was stuck sitting on the couch all summer because I had surgery in my ankle. Couldn't go out and play tournaments and basketball tournaments in different states. Couldn't go, couldn't play drums. My left foot was up like this in a boot the whole time. The worst summer ever. And I, 
And I continued to struggle with this addiction. I was about to go into my junior year of high school where I was leading the student ministry at my school and I was serving here. I was a high schooler serving in junior high like many of your leaders on Sunday morning. Doing all these things. I loved church. I loved ministry, but had this addiction. And I'll never forget that in the midst of me struggling with my addiction and feeling such immense shame, like how could God actually even care about me? Remember the Lord speak to me so clearly. It's like I can hear it still today. It was like a thought that cut through every single thought I was thinking. The Holy Spirit just said, Mateo, shame is not for me. Shame is not for me. When I first heard that, I, I fought God on that. I was like, no, Lord, I deserve to be feeling shame. Like, I deserve this because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to follow you. And I'm, I'm doing all of these things. I'm doing, doing, doing. I'm serving. Doing all the Christian things. And yeah, I'm still struggling with this addiction. So, so what, like, I deserve to be feeling shame. And once again, directly, no. Shame is not for me. And in that moment, it was like something broke in my heart where I realized this is the type of Savior I have. A Savior who, who knew every single mistake I'd ever make in my entire life. How even after trying to follow Him and walk with Him, that I would continue to fall short. And you know what His response is, is Mateo, shame is not for me. In that moment, I realized how deep the love of Jesus is. How deep the love of Jesus is. And friends, why, when I ask this question, why does it matter how we live our lives? It matters because Jesus has given everything for us. And even when we fall short, he is gracious enough to say, it's okay, come back to me, son. Come back to me. Come back to me, daughter. Condemnation is not over. This is, this is why we as Christians, we live different. It's not to try to prove ourselves to God. It's not to try to earn his love, to earn the death of Jesus. Like he's already done. He's already shown you how much he loves you. How much nails in his hands and in his feet immense suffering emotionally, physically, mentally. That's how much he loves you. His invitation to you is, is for you to give him your life. Why? Because he's given everything for you. And even when you fall short, like every single one of you do, like I continue to do, what I see is that God is gracious. That, that Jesus says in, in, Matthew, or in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's like, oh, I, well, I, I, can't, I can't do that. I'm not perfect. Like three hours ago, I, I sinned. I was mad at my little sibling. I kicked them in the shin. It's like, you're so annoying. <laughs> like, but still, so when Jesus be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, you know what that's an invitation to? So the only one who is perfect. Who is that? It's Jesus. So this is what I want us to do. I want everyone to stand up and come forward and, and get on your knees. I want you to stay quiet. Shh. Keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. 
got two minutes. I'm going to be done. This is what Romans, Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says. Or do you presume on the riches of God's kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Friends, the reason why the Christian life is responding to what God has done for us and giving him our entire lives is ultimately because in his kindness and his love, though you didn't deserve it and there's nothing you could do to deserve it, he chose to die for you and to show and demonstrate his love for you. And so what do we have in return? Say, Jesus, help me to love you. Help me, help me to love you. And when we see this passage in, in Matthew 7, we have these people, Lord, Lord, I, I, I call you Lord, Lord, I did all these things for you. And Jesus says, I'm sorry, I never knew you. Often when he calls us into, it's to giving him all of our love. And just like I couldn't say that, that I truly love my wife, if I were just to disregard doing anything she asked, and, and I was just to kind of say it, but the way I lived didn't match up with it. In the same way, the way we obey Jesus, the way that we follow Jesus, is simply a response to his love for us. Are you tracking with me? So this is what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes right where you're at. I know this was a heavy word. But first of all, what I want you to know is the same thing that the Holy Spirit told me. If you are a believer in Jesus, you believe that he is your Lord and Savior, that you know that you want him to be the most important person in your life. And hear the words from Romans 8.1 that says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God is saying is because of my son's blood, because of his sacrifice, because you have placed your faith in him, Shame is not over you anymore. Some of you just need to let go. You're carrying shame and guilt and it's causing you to try to hide from God or hide from others. This morning, can you just, or this evening, can you just receive the words of Jesus saying there is now no condemnation over you? My daughter, do not be ashamed. My son, you're still my son and I love you. I don't condemn you. For all of us, what I want to do is ultimately, I want us to respond to the graciousness of Jesus. All that word gracious means is it's the verb form of grace. We have seen God be gracious to us, so generous, so loving and merciful and giving himself just between you and the Lord, just for 30 seconds, I, I want you just to, to pray to the Lord your own words. And I just want you to, 
to come to him in repentance, in response to his kindness and his love for you. Maybe, it's, maybe you're saying, geez, I'm sorry that I've, I've made my own life so much, so much more important in my priorities than, than you were. Jesus, I'm sorry that I've used your grace and your mercy as a cheap excuse for living a life of sin. Whatever it is, can you just bring those things to the Lord? And just finish by saying, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Colin, can you just, can you just say that? Just say, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. And even though I could never deserve it, you have given it to me because you are gracious. I thank you, Jesus. And I love you. Help me to show my love for you in how I live, in how I talk, and in how I treat your people. I love you, Jesus.